What's up, guys? Thanks for joining me for the first episode of my podcast, The 90s Called. I'm your host, Jess, and I'd like to thank each and every one of you who has listened to, liked, shared, followed my Instagram, or even just talked to me about what's been going on with this podcast. It was just an idea that I had randomly that I did share with a few people, and a lot of support that I got from all you guys has really pushed me forward to do it, so I'm really glad to be here. Thank you to everybody who has shared it. Thank you to everybody who's taken a chance to listen to it, and I hope you enjoy this episode as well. If you haven't listened to the trailer episode, I started this podcast because I miss my childhood. And I get it, it seems like 90s nostalgia has been crammed down our throats for the past couple of years, but have you actually stopped to think about it? I was getting dressed for a day of work and realized that one of the outfits that I had was very, very, very similar to what I wore in the 90s, to the point that I posted it to Instagram saying, the 90s called and I want my outfits back. And that's how the idea literally slammed into my brain. Within maybe minutes, I had the idea like almost completely flushed out and then was like, okay, so... I can't be the only one who noticed it. So I went back to what we were looking at, like teen fashion or young adult fashion. I saw H&M commercials that had the 70s and 80s as designs and making jokes about it saying, okay, they're probably going to be doing the 90s soon. And next thing I know, we're doing 90s and 2000s fashion. So I was thinking about how there's so much in the 90s that I wanted to get back to. And thinking about it further, I realized I'm constantly nostalgic for it just because my childhood in the 90s was just so great until it wasn't. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with that one. But growing up in the 90s, for those who didn't live it, it seemed like everything was just magical. There was so much unknown, but it was everything that we could do if we wanted to do it. Everything that we have now in terms of technology and different businesses and stuff, we didn't have it then. And that was something that we could even just think that we could make and watch it become reality. And that's essentially what happened with the dot-com boom is all the technological advances that we have now. We saw them as ideas, which then became reality. And I even remember when the first iPhone came out. Like, that was such a big deal. And it was a big deal if you had it. Looking at the iPhone now, it's kind of archaic. But it was so fun to watch how all of that was just like a brick in your hand, like most of our cell phones were at the time, to become a big staple that people just have to have a new one now. So we watched as the internet entered our homes and watched it became a big part of our lives. And then 9-11 happened, the Iraq war happened, the DC sniper happened, the first rider strike, the economic recession of 08, the housing market crashed. And since then, we lived through a pandemic, civil unrest, another economic recession, another rider strike. And who knows what's going to happen with the housing market this time around. Fact of the matter is, we're probably all traumatized. And the one thing that we go back to to keep grasping straws at are the times of our lives that made us feel safe. And nothing felt more safe than the 90s when there was nothing but all the encompassing feeling of excitement and a wonder of what innovative and creative thing would happen next. Now, I'm not saying that there hasn't been issues in the 90s as well. Um, Obviously, we all know about Columbine and some other political unrest. And like I did mention 9-11, but I'm not going to go very much into that because I'm trying to keep this podcast as light and fun as much as I possibly can. All that to say, we all probably need a bunch of therapy to get past all of that. And I'm probably going to speak more on that in another episode. But like I said, I want this podcast to be a fun space for all of us. Yes, some heavy topics might come up, and I'm going to air away from politics as much as I can, but something might slip through the cracks. So with it being the first episode, I want to speak about something I'm very well versed in.
That was the 90s one-hit wonder, You Get What You Give by New Radicals, which is actually one of my favorite songs ever. If you have not listened to that song, you need to. It's what I would basically call like Google Dolls when I say it's like nostalgia as a genre, but it is a great song on its own. The music video, though, is what I recommend that you do look at because that is actually going into my topic for today, which is the mall and 90s mall culture. For those of you that don't know, I work in retail, and it's interesting to say the least. I'll get it out of the way. I love my job. I love the people I work with. The customers are great. I love the brand. You'll have easily some of the best and worst days in retail, but you'll also meet some of the best people that you never would have met if you hadn't worked retail. However, the change in retail from being a consumer to working in retail to working in retail and being a consumer, I can tell the difference between a mall that's really, really fun to go to and one that's ended up becoming a bit of a ghost town to where you can term in within the next couple of years and it's going to be shut down. I can tell if it's a mall that has people who are excited to go compared to a mall where it's just there for a place for people to shop for their Apple products and that's it. Malls used to be the place where people went and hung out. And I think that was like the best part of it is that it was a place for us to go where we weren't just in our house or at school. And it kind of doesn't have that feeling anymore. But the thing is, is that I love going to the mall and I equally don't like going to the mall. If I travel somewhere, first thing I think of is let's go to the mall. So that way we can see all the different stores that they have, see if they have the same stores that we have at home, see if they have it where the retail brand that I work for, if all of that works and looks the same, to see if there's any local stores within the malls. The thing is, is that I also don't like going to the malls for a couple of reasons. First one being, I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to be that person that goes into a store and messes things up because it's the quote-unquote worker's job to fix and it's their job to do, which in a way it is, and it also gives us something to do if it's on a slower day. But if you ever see me go to a mall and into another store, if I mess something up, you bet I am putting it back the way it looks. I will refold their clothes. I don't care if it's not the way they're supposed to fold it. I'm going to fix it because I don't want to be that person. And retail has been pushed so far into my head that everything needs to look neat. I literally cannot stop myself from doing it. I have been called out so many times when I go into my own store on my day off and I will fix things to where like, you're not working, stop doing that. And I've even had customers ask me, are you working when I'd be fixing something? I'm like, oh, I do work here, but I'm off today, despite the fact that I'm essentially working when I'm there. So you could probably tell how much I've been in retail if that's the case. Otherwise, there also must be something about me that screams I work retail because I can go to a completely different store and without fail, someone will ask if I work there. It has happened to Target a few times and that is mostly because red is my favorite color and I tend to wear red tops and it doesn't help when I go into Target when I'm wearing red. But there have been plenty of other stores that I have never even heard of that I would go into and next thing I know, people are going to be asking, do I work there or do I know where something is? And me being me... I tend to try to help them the best I can, especially if it's a store I've been to multiple, multiple times. I don't mean to do that, but it literally is something that's ingrained to me at this point. But before I go into what malls were like in the 90s and 90s mall culture in general, I'm going to give some background on the history of malls. I'm also going to take this moment to say my opinions about malls in the 90s is just that, my opinions. There are others that would say mall culture in the 80s was the best, which low-key, I think they might be right. But I think it also depends on what region you were from or where you lived or what your malls were like because I could say that my malls were the best ones but I'm pretty sure malls in New York California and just the mall of America in general would like to have a word with me on that conversation topic either way the information I've gathered has come from a few places online research 
What I remembered from a class I took in undergrad called the history of shopping. Yes, I did take a class called that. It was actually really, really interesting. And I'm also going to be looking at things from Wikipedia, of course. Primary sources come from there. And then also a blog post called The History and Evolution of Retail Stores from Mom and Pop to Online Shops by Brett Reagan on BigCommerce.com. Because I have to give credit where credit is due. So simply put, a shopping mall, or simply a mall, is a large indoor shopping center, usually anchored by a department store. The term mall originally meant a pedestrian promenade with shops along it, but in the late 1960s, it began to be used as a generic term for large enclosed shopping centers that were becoming commonplace. Malls, as we all know, have declined considerably in North America, particularly in subprime locations, and some have closed and become dead malls. I'm sure you all have seen pictures on Instagram or Facebook around the internet of what previous malls looked like when people would go in and try to see what they look like now after they closed down. A lot of the times, they look pretty much the same. Some of them have ended up becoming very run down. Um, others have been demolished. And then some look the same, but like overgrowth has taken over, which is very interesting to go back and look at it in a bit of an eerie kind of way, but is also has fuel nostalgia for a lot of us as well, especially if you read the comments on it. For people who used to go to that mall, you could tell that a lot of people really did enjoy spending their time there when they had the chance. There have been some exceptions to malls that have closed down, especially if they have added entertainment and experiential features like those virtual reality machines that you have people put that you put people in and then they like shake around and everything depending on what it is that you're doing. We used to have that in the mall that I work at and it caused a bit of a nuisance with all the screening that ended up coming from it. But it did bring in a lot of people, and it was actually very entertaining to watch on the outside in as well. Other successful malls ended up bringing in big box stores as anchors, and others converted to specialized shopping centers such as power centers, lifestyle centers, factory outlet centers, and festival marketplaces. Original Mall, per the International Council of Shopping Centers, is a mall with 400,000 square feet to 800,000 square feet gross leasable area with at least two anchor stores. Then there's also a thing called a super regional mall, of which I had never heard of this before I started doing research, where per the International Council of Shopping Centers, it's a shopping mall with over 800,000 square feet of gross leasable area, three or more acres, mass merchants, more variety, fashion apparel, and serves as a dominant shopping venue for the region, 25 miles in which it is located. Then there are other places that aren't classified as malls, which are smaller, such as strip malls, neighborhood shopping centers, and specialized formats as power centers, festival markets, and outlet centers. Shopping centers in general have the origins of public markets and in the Middle East, covered bazaars. In 1798, the first covered shopping passage, or shopping mall, was built in Paris. The Burlington Arcade in London was opened in 1819. The arcade in Providence, Rhode Island, built in 1828, is claimed to be the first shopping arcade in the U.S., Western European cities in particular built many arcade-style shopping centers, such as the Galleria Vittorio Emanuel II in Milan, which opened in 1877, which was larger than all of its predecessors and inspired the use of the term Galleria for many other shopping centers, arcades, and malls. In the mid-20th century, with the rise of the suburban automobile culture in the U.S., a new style shopping center was created away from downtown. Early shopping centers designed for cars basically included Market Square in Lake Forest, Illinois in 1916 and the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City, Missouri in 1924. However, the shopping center, which was eventually known as the Mall, did not appear in mainstream until the mid-1950s. One of the earliest was the Valley Fair Shopping Center in Appleton, Wisconsin, which opened March 10, 1955. 
Valerie Fair featured a number of modern features, including central heating and cooling, a large outdoor parking area, semi-detached acre stores, and restaurants. Later that year, the world's first fully enclosed shopping mall was opened in Sweden and was named Shopping. The region now claims the highest shopping center density in Europe. In the U.S., it was the mid-1990s where malls were still being constructed at a rate of 140 a year. But in 2001, a Prince Waterhouse Cooper study found that underperforming and vacant malls known as Greyfield and Dead Mall estates were starting to become a problem. Also, what happened in 2001, that big thing that I mentioned earlier today, which may have caused a decline in some malls. In 2007, a year before the Great Recession, no new malls were built in America for the first time in 50 years. The City Creek Center Mall in Salt Lake City, which opened in 2012, was the first to be built since the recession. By that point, malls began to lose customers to open-air power centers and lifestyle centers during the 90s. Customers preferred to park right in front of and walk directly into big box stores with lower prices and without the overhead of traditional malls, aka the long and closed corridors. Another issue was that America basically made too many malls. They made way too many places to shop, and a lot more could be reasonably justified by the actual growth of the American population, retail sales, or any other economic indicators. But the number of shopping centers exploded from 4,500 in 1960 to 70,000 by 1986 to just under 108,000 by 2010. And as we all know, online shopping also emerged as a major competitor to shopping malls. In the U.S., online shopping has accounted for increasing share of total retail sales. In 2013, roughly 200 out of 1,300 malls across the U.S. were going out of business. To combat this, developers have converted malls into other uses, including attractions such as parks, movie theaters, gyms, and even fishing lakes. In the U.S., 600,000-square-foot Highland Mall will be a campus for Austin Community College. In France, the So West Mall outside of Paris was designed to resemble the arrogant Louis XV-style apartments and includes 17,000 square meters of green space. The Australian mall, Westfield, launched an online mall and later a mobile app with 150 stores, 3,000 brands, and over 1 million products. And, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic also significantly impacted the retail industry. Government regulations temporarily closed malls, increased entrance controls, and imposed strict public sanitation requirements. So then I bet you were thinking that the Mall of America was the biggest mall in existence. It might be the biggest mall in America, but it's not the biggest mall. The world's largest mall opened in 2018 in Iran, and it's named the Iran Mall. It holds over 2,500 shops. So now that we got the history part out of the way, let's get to the part that I'm sure you guys are all have been waiting to talk about. 90s mall culture. So with 90s mall culture and even 80s mall culture, it's difficult to define if you haven't lived it because going to the mall, you cannot see me, but I used air quotes around that, wasn't something you did simply just to go to one specific store to buy one specific thing. When you went to the mall, it was an event. It was a full day trip. You finished school on Friday and while you're waiting for your classmates to be picked up, you talked about what you're going to do that weekend and more often than not, you were going to the mall. And you didn't just go shopping, you went on a trip. You went to shop, eat, go to movies, and socialize. Chances are, your dates were at the mall. And if you didn't go on a date to the mall, you were looking for dates at the mall. You might have been going to the movies, or your first job was at the mall. But it was a place where kids, teenagers, and adults spent their entire days. To the point that if we were going to Blockbuster on Friday, we were probably asking, Dad, can we go to the mall? And again, sorry, Mom, I hated clothes shopping back then, but I loved shopping for toys and things that I didn't actually need. I love going clothes shopping now. If you want to go, let me know. So when you went to the mall, you would start at one end, whether it be at the JCPenney's or Sears, and you would make your way to your favorite store. But along the way, you would pop into each and every store that caught your eye. 
It didn't matter if the store had antiques or clothes you weren't interested in. Something caught your attention and you went in. Along the way, you'd come across a large water fountain that had people flanking all sides, throwing their chains in to make wishes. And these water fountains actually had displays that went up to the other floors. Do you remember when most malls had multiple floors rather than the one? So those fountains also had those kind of weird wooden benches that like, kind of followed the curve of the water fountain. The best part about those benches was that we would lay down on them and stand on them to lean over further into the fountain and then be told by our parents, stop leaning over into the fountain or you'll fall in. And, you know, we would always try to get the chains out of it anyway. And then when you got bored of throwing the pennies and coins into it, you would kind of walk and run around the benches, like, jumping over other kids as you went. And then we would still get yelled at by our parents to stop doing that. Yeah, those fountains, they have a distinct smell, too. Have you noticed that if you go into a mall, you can immediately tell if it has a water fountain because it has that distinct smell, kind of like chlorine and pennies? Like, it's a specific smell. I swear if you go into any mall that has a water fountain, you can tell where it is now just because of that. And I actually kind of miss it because not many malls have those cool displays anymore. So somewhere across the way, you would come across an arcade of some sort. And these are the arcades that you had a quarter that you used to play it. And if you were waiting your turn, you would line up your quarter somewhere on the game so that you can show that you claimed your space, you'd be the next to go. And if someone was particularly good at a game, you could tell from a couple of things. Number one, they probably had a lot of quarters resting on the machine for people who wanted to try playing it after. They had the largest crowd around them. They probably had their name in every single score uh, point where you can put your name after you win with the little initials that you could put there. Or it's that they were, like, the regular, quote-unquote, of the place of the game that they were playing. Like, people just knew who they were. That's how you could tell that they knew exactly what they were doing. But, yeah, the arcades were fun. All the games that they had there, like Pac-Man versus Pac-Man, Street Fighter, Street Fighter versus Capcom, Marvel versus Capcom, I think, was one. Like, all of those games that we had on the NES or the SNES were the ones that would probably be in there. And I know that they have barcades now, which are very popular from what I hear. Um, so they essentially run the same way as arcades used to. They do run on quarters that you put into the machine to play the game. The basic difference is you can drink now, so that might make it a little bit more fun. Or you can make more rules for the game, or make a drinking game out of it. So it does hold on to our nostalgia of the arcade games we used to play, but then empty it up a little bit to more adult level. I haven't been to a barcade yet, but I do plan on going to one, so I'll get back to you on that in a future episode. So then you would continue to go around the mall, and you probably would go around two, three, or four times looking at every single kiosk, store, thing in the window that caught your attention, and you would go into all the stores that you'd like to love to go into. Staples such as Spencer's and Hot Topic, which are stores that continue to exist today, but then they were the ones that kept us going to the mall in the 90s, which no longer exist, but these were the staple stores that if you talk to people about their favorite stores for 90s malls now, you probably would have someone go, I loved that store for each and every one. So I'm going to mention a few of them here for you. So first there was Suncoast, which was a store that resembled a movie theater, and it was where you could find literally anything you were interested in in terms of movies, TV shows, and posters. Suncoast basically was like a blockbuster, but blockbuster had video games, while Suncoast was more of like collectibles and vinyls and stuff as well. Blockbuster is going to have another episode on its own, just so you guys know. Um, but in 1999, Musicland, which was the company that made Suncoast, launched the websites for Suncoast, Sam Goody, which is another store we'll talk about, and Media Play. In 2001, Best Buy purchased the parent company for $685 million. In 2003, 
Best Buy closed 20 Suncoast stores as part of a larger closing that included 90 Sam Goody stores. In 2006, Musicland filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S., where 80 Suncoast stores were then closed. In 2009, 150 more Suncoast stores closed. As of 2023, only three Suncoast stores remain in Beaumont, Texas, Omaha, Nebraska, and Jacksonville, North Carolina. A fourth combination FYE and Suncoast remains in Beaver Creek, Ohio, in the mall at Fairfield Commons. Sam Goody was a music and entertainment store in the U.S. and U.K., operated as well by the Musicland Group. It was bought by Best Buy in 2000, sold to Sun Capital Partners in 2003, and filed for bankruptcy in 2006, closing most of its stores. The remaining stores were purchased by Transworld Entertainment, which also runs FYE, Saturday Matinee, and Suncoast. Sam Goody specialized in music, video, and video game sales. Between 2007 and 2008, Transworld converted most of the stores into FYE. Then there was Radio Shack. Radio Shack was an electronics retailer founded in 1921 and was initially made as an amateur radio mail order business centered in Boston, Massachusetts. In 1962, it shifted its focus from radio equipment to hobbyist electronic components. At its peak in 1999, there were over 8,000 Radio Shack stores in the U.S., Mexico, the U.K., Australia, and Canada. By the mid-2000s, Radio Shack was facing financial decline, and in February 2015, after years of management crisis, poor worker relations, diminished revenue, and 11 consecutive quarterly losses, Radio Shack was delisted from the New York Stock Exchange and filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Radio Shack basically was the place we went where we wanted to get new music players, whether it be a Walkman, a Discman, a Boombox, or a CD player, you would go to Radio Shack for those things. And then some malls had Toys R Us. I don't think I need to explain what Toys R Us was. All of us knew Toys R Us. Where I grew up, Toys R Us wasn't part of the mall, but it was across the street from the mall in a separate shopping center. So if we ever went to the mall, you bet your ass we were going to Toys R Us either before or after it. Toys R Us was the best place to go for toys. I am not joking when I say that. If you wanted a new video game, if you wanted a new Bionicle, Beyblade, Pokemon game, Digimon game, a bicycle, pretty a Barbie, G.I. Joe, Pretty much any single 90s toy you could think of, that store was heaven for it. And the best part was, you could practically play with everything you wanted there. There were displays set up for almost everything. You could slash couldn't ride a bike in the store. Let's just say sometimes they left one out and people used it. But you could do that. They had Lego sets set up that you could play with. They had Bionicle sets, Gundam Wing sets, pretty much anything action figure related you could play with. And then, of course, the best part, that was the video game section. If you went to the video game section, there was a TV mounted on the wall. It had our heads tilted up, which I'm pretty sure is a lot better than our heads being tilted down to smartphones right now, where you would watch that screen and have the controller for whatever system was out at the time. I pretty much remember the Nintendo 64 and the GameCube for that. Whatever demo game they had, which is probably a Mario game, you were able to play that game. And that transfixed you. You had groups of kids watching people play those games for hours. If we went into that toy store, chances are we were playing the video game more than anything else. And that's where your parents knew where to find you. If you suddenly disappeared, your parents would probably find you playing a Nintendo 64 game. It was the best thing ever. They don't even let you do that in stores anymore. They used to have them in Target, Walmart, Toys R Us primarily. 
if you go to a Target now and they have games set up, chances are you can't actually play it. It's more like it'll be behind glass or a lockbox of some sort. But Toys R Us was the best place to play a game before you figured out whether or not you wanted it. Seriously, 90s Toys R Us was the best. Like, that's really why there was an outcry when we all found out that Toys R Us was closing down. It was the best toy store to go to. And if you had that toy store in your mall, then you were lucky. Because otherwise, you had KB Toys. Now, that's not to say that KB Toys is bad in any way. It's just I definitely preferred Toys R Us. I honestly don't know if anything could top Toys R Us for me now that I think about it. It literally was that good of a store. So, other than that, if you were a little bit older, you probably went to the body shop. The body shop, which I thought was a precursor to Bath and Body Works, but apparently was a competitor to it. Cough, cough, Bath and Body Works. If you have a sponsorship deal, I totally would do that for you. Please hit me up because I love all of your products. But the body shop was essentially the same as Bath and Body Works. If you were a girl, you were in that store, you were trying the scents from the body sprays, the body mist, the lotions. Then you also had the, I think it was like a cucumber melon shower gel that I had from Body Shop, which I absolutely loved. Like, I specifically remember the look of that bottle. I need to look it up. I remember the look of that bottle. There's this specific and distinct way that they had the marketing on those bottles that I absolutely remember that pretty much every girl in existence had something for the Body Shop. Anyway, Body Shop, essentially, like I said, was the same as Bath & Body Works to the point that the Body Shop sued Bath & Body Works for being too similar to them, and then Bath & Body Works essentially had to rebrand themselves. Let's also not forget the point that Body Shop had to, at one point, improve its standards on animal testing and environment issues, though that's a completely different point to make. So then, you also had stores that, of course, were going to be probably pushed a little more towards the boys, and one of the best ones was the Warner Brothers Studio Store, a.k.a. the WB Store which literally was one of the best stores that they ever had in the mall. So, the WB store was a store that sold Looney Tunes, DC Comics, and other merchandise based on the Warner Brothers films, similar to the Disney store, which I will be bringing up as well. It first opened in 1991. In 1996, the Warner Brothers owner, Time Warner, merged with Turner Broadcasting, which owned Hanna-Barbera in the pre-1986 MGM library, and merchandise based on the Hanna-Barbera and other Turner properties were added to the product lines. In 2001, the AOL and Time Warner merger was complete, at which time WB stores were placed up for sale with plans to close if not sold. In February 2001, the flagship location on New York's Fifth Avenue was closed, and in sad news, on September 11, 2001, the store at the World Trade Center was destroyed when the Twin Towers collapsed. High-profile stores in L.A. and Palo Alto were also closed. And in July, the chain that had 85 stores would be shut down by October as the company moved out of the owned and operated retail business. So now you understand why I kind of alluded to the point before where 9-11 may have been the start of the fall of malls. I will get to that later, but I think you're going to start seeing a pattern for some things. The last of the WB stores closed by December 31st. First, 2001. Let me tell you, the WB store was incredibly fun to go to because not only was it at the time that Looney Tunes was a big thing, especially in the fact that WB had its hand in amusement parks um, with Six Flags that made the WB characters even bigger, but we had Looney Tunes showing all the time. 
So along with that and the DC comics and everything else that they push forward, there is something in that store for someone to look at or want or to be sucked into. I wasn't a huge comic book fan back then, so I didn't really care for that part. But I was really into the Looney Tunes characters at the time, and that was something that I absolutely loved to go in and see. There was even a point, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that's where we got our dad, our Taz tie that we gave him for Christmas. And I'm pretty sure we also got him a Taz polo that has something to do with golfing. I will ask him to make sure. I'm pretty sure that's where we got it for him from. He loved those. So then we have the Disney store. I probably do not need to explain what the Disney store was. If you have been to Disney World, Disneyland, Girl Disney, Japan Disney, which I really want to go to, if you have seen anything Disney, you understand the Disney store. To the point that if you haven't been to one, all you have to do is just type in probably 90s Disney store to Google, and your chances of finding a picture that's got the pyramid of all the stuffed animals in the front of the store is exactly what the Disney store was. I can't even imagine the amount of times that we had to be told not to touch things at that store because we probably would have had that pyramid fall down. But the Disney store is probably... If they made a Disney store now, Disney adults would go nuts over it. That's pretty much all you need to know. But otherwise, the Disney store actually does still exist, but not in the way that you think it does. When the Disney store started to shut down, they moved them into like Disney sections, into stores like Target and JCPenney. So the only really true Disney store that they have would probably be in Disney World or Disneyland. But in early March 2021, Disney announced that it would be closing at least 155 Disney store locations in North America for U.S. and Canada and focus more on its e-commerce operations. May 5th, 2021, Disney announced that it would close all the Disney store locations in Europe. And on June 8th, it was announced that the original Glendale Galleria location would close on July 14th, 2021 among other 16 stores. On July 23rd of 2021, it was announced that most Canadian stores would be closing on or before August 18th, 2021. And then the final 1990s Pink and Green location at Chicago Ridge Mall in Chicago Ridge, Illinois, was announced to be a part of the closures. On August 23rd, it was announced that 59 stores would close on or before September 15th, leaving only 22 stores remaining in the U.S. It was announced that the last three Canadian stores would close as well. On December 24th, it was announced that the second-to-last full-price Disney store located in Bellevue, Washington, would close on January 19th, 2022. So if you weren't into Disney or the WB, there was probably another store that you wanted to go to, which was the Discovery Store. I was into Disney and WB, and I still love the Discovery Store. It was pretty much a store that was all for the Discovery Channel, which was super big for us at the time, because I remember so many eyewitness videos that we watched in school for science that had to do with Discovery. That If it was a movie day, we knew it probably was a Discovery Channel video, and we all loved it. So the Discovery Channel made its way into retail stores and malls and other locations and also made an online store. The store's specialty were educational gifts, videos, books, CD-ROMs, and educational kits, and most of which were manufactured with the Discovery Channel brand name. I'm pretty sure we had a Discovery Channel eyewitness book as well. Like, I vaguely remember a dinosaur on the front of the book for it, or else I'm remembering the intro. Of which, if you go to YouTube and you type in Discovery Channel or Discovery Video Intro, you can see the CGI that was great in the 90s for us of that intro. It is a throwback. The Discovery Channel stores first opened in 1995, and by 1997, the chain had 17 U.S. and one U.K. store. At the time, the chain was building a flagship store in D.C., which I think we went to as well, 
with three levels themed in various environments, sea and underground, land and outer space, and aviation and science, which was supposed to be opened in February 1998, with another flagship store in San Francisco to be opened in November of 1998. On May 17, 2007, Discovery Communications announced it would close its standalone and mall-based stores, and the Hudson Group, which will continue to operate the Discovery Channel Airport stores, and the website remains in operation. If you were more into electronics, Sharper Image was also a store that people went to. It was a brand that offered customers home electronics, air purifiers, gifts, and other high-tech lifestyle products through its website, catalog, and third-party retailers. Quite frankly, the only thing I remember about Sharper Image is the massage chairs. I'm pretty sure all any of us ever wanted from that was a massage chair. And I kind of remember a hot tub. I think hot tubs were in there too. Those are literally the only two things that I remember from there. So then we also had The Nature Company, or The Nature Store. And The Nature Company was a Berkeley, California-based chain of retail stores that sold scientific toys, telescopes, artwork, fossils, minerals and gems, books, clothing, and music CDs. And now that I think about it, I'm not quite sure what kind of CDs came from The Nature Store. So it might have been like the sounds of rain and the jungle and stuff like that. I really don't know. I don't think we ever bought CDs from there, but I bet with the gems and stuff that you can get there now, if the nature store still existed, you probably would have a lot of people who are into crystals looking at it. Because that's, that's the only thing I remember too, is that it had bins filled with like really cool crystals and things. But then also the best part of that store was their entranceway because it had like a stone entranceway and a water feature that was different for each store. It was really, really cool. Then we had Limited 2. Limited 2 was created by The Limited um, in 1987 and as an infant's, toddler's, and younger girl's version of The Limited, selling products similar to their adult-oriented brand. I was too young for The Limited, and I was too much of a tomboy to go into Limited 2 because it was so bright and pink, and back then I absolutely did not like bright and pink at all. But Limited 2 was really popular among the demographic it's going for. is popular among preteen girls. To the point that I'm pretty sure every single teen girl show I watched at the time, like Lizzie McGuire, I bet you all of their clothing was probably taken from Limited 2. And I bet you Limited 2 also was the ones who made the chokers and the blue eyeshadow with the butterfly hair clips really popular as well. From 2001 to 2003, the company operated the chain that targeted 15 to 20-year-old women and sold apparel, accessories, and gifts competed head-to-head -head with chains like Gadzooks, Wet Seal, and the women's business of Abercrombie Fitch, Hollister, and American Eagle. The chain folded in 2003 because the parent company felt that they knew and understood the preteen customer better. So the first Justice Just for Girls store launched in January 2004, where early Justice for stores were converted from Limited 2 stores. So earlier when I mentioned my coworker who knew what Justice was but not Limited 2, essentially we were talking about the same thing because Limited 2 turned into Justice. In 2008, there were 582 Limited 2 stores in 47 states in Puerto Rico, as well as 25 franchise stores in the Middle East. At its peak, Limited 2 had over 600 stores, However, in August 2008, Tweed Brands announced that it would discontinue the Limited 2 line of 586 stores, although select stores would still offer a line of higher quality Limited 2 choices and justice locations. Between December 2008 and June 2010, 26 of these stores closed and 560 others were rebranded as Justice. Gadzooks was another teenage girl uh, clothing store where eventually it was taken over by Forever 21, 
But what made Gadzooks different was that it had a life-size version of part of a Volkswagen Beetle inside, because dozens of the car were sawed in half or used as displays throughout its locations during the 1990s. In 92, the company had 33 stores in Texas, and by 95, the company had 195 stores. In 2000, the company operated 330 Gadzook stores in 35 states. In 2003, in response to heightened competition, the company retooled, shifting from being a mini department store and dropping its male clothing line to focus exclusively on 16 to 22 year old females, which proved a fatal shift in its visibility. Gadzooks is one of the first national retail chains to adopt the teenage shopper as its target market. In February 2004, the company filed bankruptcy and announced plans to reduce its store count from 410 to 252. In March 2005, Forever 21 purchased the chain for $33 million and the stores were eventually phased out. So everybody knows Hot Topic and Spencer's. That is still at pretty much every store in existence. And growing up, we weren't allowed to go into those stores. They were a little bit too adult. And looking back on it, I'm like, I understand that part. I, I truly do understand why we weren't allowed to go into them. But it was a hundred times better in the 90s than it is now, especially Hot Topic. Hot Topic used to be the place you would go if you wanted your punk rock look. And it still does have that, but it's been overrun by Disney and anime. Now, don't get me wrong, I do love my fair share of anime. But I absolutely miss when Hot Topic specifically was a punk rock store. I loved going, I had so many studded belts and studded wristbands, which I think I still have from my time of shopping there. And going in the narrow and just seeing like a row of Funko Pops, just, it just hits different. If you like that sort of thing, that's absolutely fine. I still go into Hot Topic nowadays, but Spencer's and Hot Topic seem to really push the envelope more when we were growing up in the 90s. And I can't mention malls in 90s mall culture without mentioning the store Sears. Sears was a massive department store that had its own catalog that we did all of our back-to-school shopping from. I remember when I'd be sitting for breakfast, looking at the catalog and circling and marking all the things that I wanted to get from Sears for back-to-school. But primarily, I wanted to mention Sears because you can't mention malls in Sears without mentioning the 90s commercial about the couple who needed to get the AC fixed. I might insert the audio of it here because I remember it literally beat by beat. It is such 90s goodness. But otherwise, ask anyone from the 90s about the Sears commercial. They know immediately what you're talking about. So I do also have to mention the food court. Primarily in that you don't see a Baskin-Robbins, a Dippin' Dots, or a TCBY in food courts ever anymore. Of course, you still have your staples like Panda Express and Sparrow Pizza, which I know I am pronouncing very, very wrong and very badly. But in terms of ice cream, you don't have those stores anymore. I forgot what a Baskin-Robbins was, like even that it was a thing, until watching a Try Guys video where Keith tried every flavor of Baskin-Robbins. Mostly because my first ice cream choice is Ben & Jerry's, but Baskin-Robbins, you don't really think about much anymore. Same with Dippin' Dots. I had not tried Dippin' Dots until I was in my 20s when I was at an amusement park. Because the only place I ever saw Dippin' Dots was at an amusement park when they used to be in the food court. And for those who are old enough to remember TCBY, I only just found out that TCBY was supposed to be about yogurt. TCBY stands for the country's best yogurt. It was a frozen yogurt place, but I specifically remembered it being about ice cream to the point that I went to to YouTube Search TCBY 90s commercial and found the exact commercial I was looking for because I remember it talking about ice cream and they did sell a lot of ice cream. TCBY barely exists now. 
most people don't know about it. Other people know about Baskin Robbins and Dippin' Dots, but I had to mention it because that's the ice cream that you typically would get if you went to the food court or you got from the movie theater when you went to the mall. But last but not least, don't get me started on Christmas at the mall. Oh my god, Christmas shopping was the best. It was probably an absolute nightmare for our parents because we couldn't drive and they had to take us, but it was the best. The decorations were great. The music was great. It wasn't just like the covers of all the songs we hear now. It was literally like the, the Christmas songs, the verses of those that we absolutely love. And the mall had everything you could ever think you ever wanted to get someone as a gift or convince someone to get you as a gift. It was all at the mall. And where do you get your gifts now? Probably online. It's not the same. Christmas shopping at the mall in the 90s was the best. You went to the Disney store, the WB store, Toys R Us, KB Toys, Save Goody, Gadzooks, Wet Seal, The Body Shop. A bunch of clothes shopping that, again, mom, I am so sorry that I threw a fix. I didn't like clothes shopping back then, but a lot of clothes shopping stores that you would go to. And you now have to go to multiple places online or multiple stores to get what you want. And the thing is, is that now Christmas in malls, and this might just be the jaded adult version of myself, but it just seems so fake and half-hearted. And it just seems very rushed. You're just going to the mall to go to that one store to get that one thing, and then you're going back home. Or you order it online and have it delivered to you, or you have it ordered to go to that store where you just pick it up and you leave. You don't spend the entire day looking at every display that you can possibly think of at kiosks and stores and even little setups outside where people are trying to sell their handmade things. You just don't have that anymore. And that might also just be because of the change in the mall culture. I mean, even Greg Alexander, the frontman of New Radicals who did the song that I played earlier, he chose the shopping mall for the backdrop of that video because he said it was a metaphor for society, a fake controlled environment engineered to encourage spending. And in many ways, that's pretty much what a mall is. It's encouraging you to buy things. If you go into a mall, there's some sort of, especially at Macy's, there's some sort of a sale everywhere as they're trying to get you to buy things where it used to be a place where you would just go and hang out, especially around Christmas. You could spend the entire day at the mall during Christmas because there's always something to look at. If you go to a mall during Christmas now, the displays aren't as extravagant as they used to be, or maybe they didn't feel that and I don't know, maybe malls feel they don't need to put in as much extravagance into decorations and stuff because they know people are going to buy things anyway. Because I know, listen, there are stores, some stores, that are allowed to decorate for Christmas. There are others that are not. But in the 90s, every store was decorated for Christmas in some way. Not just the mall in general, but every store. So that made it very festive. It made it that people were all there to have a good time rather than, this store might have Christmas decorations, but this one has to look uniform to everything else, so it's not going to have a festive feel, especially because some stores can't play Christmas music either. And trust me when I say, I wish every store could play Christmas music, rather than the same rotation of songs that you hear every time that you go in, but that's my personal opinion. So looking at malls now, they don't have as much of a variety. It is mostly shoe stores and clothing stores that are all competing with each other and may as well look the same. To the point that the inside of almost every mall looks exactly the same. You can pretty much tell which property group made the mall just by the way it's designed. Most of them are now single floor malls that have one end that's got the acre store of JCPenney or Dillard's or Macy's. And the rest of them 
are the same clothing stores that you find in every mall, the same shoe stores you find in every mall. And they're essentially mapped out the same so that the direct competition are basically right next to each other. So that brings us to the question is, what ultimately made the malls and 90s mall culture die out? Online shopping and the pandemic certainly didn't help, but I think in many ways, the downfall was before that. Like I said before, in the 90s, malls were for kids and teenagers and a place for them to hang out. But then they didn't want the teenagers to hang out anymore. It took away the spaces for teens and kids to hang out because they felt that kids and teens were a nuisance. Teenagers do still work in malls. However, the age ranges of them being able to start working at malls has changed from 15 or 16 as a minimum to 18 or older. Not to mention the curfews that have been put in place where anyone under 18 has to be accompanied by an adult after a certain time frame and add in the fact that they can't be in groups bigger than four or else they're considered a quote-unquote nuisance, quote-unquote up to something, or even quote-unquote a gang. Because that's the biggest issue that they had is that they felt that teens were causing problems at the malls. A 2017 Los Angeles Times article even says that there have been an increase in shopping centers where they feel that teens have worn out their welcome. There's been high-profile incidents in recent years in more than 100 shopping centers that have made curfews or bans on unaccompanied minors. And that's not even a new rule. The Mall of America made it in the 1990s where teens can't walk around unaccompanied on Friday and Saturday nights. There's always safety in mind, but then you have to think about how back in the 90s, we used to have music groups actually come to our malls and do mall tours. Like, actual music groups and celebrities would come to the mall to meet fans. NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Hanson, Britney Spears, cast from TV shows, people who had things to promote went to malls and did performances and mall signings. You didn't have to pay anything to go to them. You could watch your favorite people for free. But then there's also the safety. You had to keep in mind of that as well because anybody could do anything at any time. For example, there's a famous story where NSYNC had to be herded out of a mall because a teenager threw water balloons during a signing. And because nobody knew what was going on, the security people had to make sure everybody was safe and cancel the signing. And maybe that's some of the issues that we have today is that you don't know what anybody could do at any time. Unfortunately, there's been so many articles in the news lately of mass shootings through schools, campuses. I mean, going postal had a reason in the 90s of getting that name because there's so many, or at least the ones that I've heard of, shootings at uh, postal offices. And of course, there's shootings at malls too. Some of the more high profile ones has had that happen too. So the question is, is how safe are you? I'm not saying teenagers aren't safe, but keeping safety in mind over the years has made it that people are very suspicious of each other and there's been so many fights that have gone across social media with teenagers at the helm that now have made it that rules and regulations have been put in place. I'm not saying one way of living is better than the other because it is always good to be safe, but malls used to be a place where people would hang out and not feel like they are being scrutinized in any way and that doesn't happen now. So some other reasons that malls may have been shutting down is because the cost of rent and space has gone up. And it's simply that inflation hasn't helped, things cost a lot more money, and it's more effective to shop online. Cell phones make it easier to shop from pushing a button, and you don't actually have to go somewhere and get up and deal with anybody when you want to buy something. 
Of course, you then potentially have to deal with someone when you have to go back and return said item, but everything is made so that you can just have it sent directly to you. So what's the point of actually going somewhere to get something? Me, on the other hand, I prefer to go and get something because I'd prefer to have it in that minute. And if I can't, then I'll online shop after. I am also slightly lazy in that times I can probably go to the store and buy it, but I don't want to get up, so I'll get it off my phone. So it's a bit of a catch-22. But malls are dying out, and I wish they would come back to a place where you could hang out. That's exactly what I would do if I were to make a mall today, is I would make it a place where everybody could go to hang out. Don't get me wrong, I do love the ease of shopping through apps on my phone, and nothing beats what going to the mall in the 90s was like. It wasn't, I have to go to the Apple store to get my phone fixed, and I have to go to the mall. No, going to the mall was exciting, and I wish going to the mall was made exciting again. So ladies and gentlemen, I want my malls back. I want my malls to be a place where we could go to hang out and have fun and actually enjoy being in public because there were so many niche and different stores that caught everyone's attention. But if you ask me about this by the time Black Friday and Christmas rolls around again, I'm going to deny ever saying it. Again, to everyone who has supported me with this podcast, um, we it's just episode one in and I got plenty more to come. I do have a lot of people who are interested in being on said podcast because some of the topics that's going to be coming up. So I'm super excited for that and others that I'm reaching out to that I hope I'll be able to get on that I think will be fun as well. I hope to have the next episode out soon, but in the meantime, you can follow my Instagram, the 90s called pod, as well as send in any emails for topics or any feedback that you want to give at the 90s called pod at gmail.com. Thanks guys. Have a good day.